was 17 feet tall, you had 150 wives. You didn't do that much except you saved the game of baseball. You put two and two together and you noticed it was four. Now the treachery of Shoeless Joe can't hurt us anymore. And he'll always be remembered as Kennesaw Mountain Landers. Welcome to Getting Thinky. I'm Andrew. I'm Katie. And I'm Kellen. And this week's topic is what makes a classic. Katie, go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Obviously, we're talking about, well, not obviously, but we're talking about literary classics here, not classic movies or television or anything like that. Well, not necessarily, but mostly. Yeah, let's start off with literary and see where we go. (laughs) If we have other examples, we can stick them in. So, so the reason I suggested this topic in the first place was because I got into a an enormous debate with somebody um, about why a book becomes a classic, and he was trying to insist that the Dan Brown books were modern classics and that they're just they're going to hold up. Um, and I said that they were pure pop fiction, and just because they're popular doesn't make them a classic. His argument was that all it needs is popularity to become a classic. Um, and mine was obviously contrary to that. So, um, so, so what are your thoughts in general? What makes a classic? Is it popularity? Is it the quality of the book? Is it the symbolic value or the political value? I think there are three things that make a classic. One is quality, two is time, and three is popularity. Um, and that is in order of importance. Um, definitely the content matters most. I mean, if it's poppycock, then it's not going to become a classic. People may know about it into the future, but they're going to still think of it as poppycock. Um, time, the longer something is around and the more people continue to pass it on to the next generation, the more it will become... Uh, quote-unquote classical in their eyes. Um, obviously, something like, you know, Mozart's music is what we think of as, well, I mean, it's called classical, but we think of it as a classical music um, because, for one, it's so old, and from that sprouted the music we have today. Popularity also helps, but it isn't necessarily necessary, as in... Um, uh, Wizard of Oz was not popular when it first came out, and over time it was still it had good quality and it had time, and today it is considered a classic. Mm-hmm. Well, I think popularity um, is important. Like, I don't think a book is going to become a classic unless it has popularity. Not necessarily that it's an instant success, but I mean, people have to know about it because there yeah. there are equally good books or movies or music, whatever the case may be, but because they they never hit any level of popularity, they didn't become classics. Well, just because they weren't so recognized. Yeah, I agree with that because, um, but I think the time, con- time element is really important. So there are, yeah, there are a lot of things that we've seen have become classics that were not, were just weren't popular at all to start with. Um, 
and then it took up. So it's it can't be just popularity by itself. It has to be like popularity over time. So like the sum of popularity over the lifetime of its existence. So I kind of tend to think that something could be a classic for a period of time and then just stop being a classic <laughs> if just enough people just forget about it <laughs> or it just or something else just eclipses it. Um, That's true, but if it is considered a classic at a certain period of time, the people who consider it a classic will think, this is a classic, you have to read this. You know, why haven't you read this yet? It's a classic. And then the next generation gets it shoved onto them, and then they like it, and then they think it's a classic, and the cycle repeats itself. So I think that, yes, it can happen to where something that was a classic just sort of fades away, but it would happen rarely, and it would take a long period of time but, for that to happen. Yeah, I agree. I don't, but I don't think your three conditions are enough. I agree that popularity over time is important, and I agree that quality is important. But quality is just very imprecise to me. Like it depends on the eye of the beholder often. <laughs> I mean, you. I mean, there's obviously a level in which there's an absolutism, so something can't be trash and become a classic. Um, but I think there, there, something uh, can be trash and become popular. Yes, exactly. There are a lot of things that become popular because they're trash. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> some things become popular because they're trash, and some things are trash and become popular, and people don't even realize <laughs> that they're trash. <laughs> Until it's Twilight. Twilight. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think there's I think it has to a lot to do with um uniqueness um and social impact <laughs> that has a lot to do with whether something becomes a classic. Because I think you could have a really great work that's popular, but that wouldn't be something that they're ever gonna teach in in like a, li- a literature class <laughs> because it doesn't add anything new to uh, your knowledge or uh, understanding of literature. So I think it has to have something or or of society. So I think it has to have something beyond just being. Um, being good, like well-written and very entertaining story, if that's what you're describing as quality. (laughs) Right. And more than social impact, I think um, impact on the genre is just as important. Like something that that changes the way stories are written or the way stories are read, it's going to more likely make it a classic. So, like, Lord of the Rings made fantasy a um, a relevant genre. Because before, it was kind of like pop fiction kind of looked down on. Um, and then Lord of the Rings made it viable. And so that's why that has become a classic, is because it totally remade the, the face of literature. And um, in many ways, movies as well. Mm. So in that case, though, it's almost like the people 
before Lord of the Rings had like a, some sort of a mental block or, or a social like stuck up in this. <laughs> like they were like, we can't have these elves and stuff <laughs> in our books. They can't, they're not real books. If they yeah, have well, elves. They're part of this like children's stories, like yeah. fairy tales, not as um, literature. But I guess so. Uh, a lot of things have to like fall into place, like exactly right, <laughs> for something like Lord of the Rings to happen. <laughs> In order for the society, the society has to be at a level where people are willing to accept that kind of a story or something. Uh, yeah. Not necessarily. I mean, if it gets passed on to a later generation, they will pick it up. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, just but there has yeah, it doesn't have to be written at that time, mm -hmm. but it has to be there has to be like an inflection point. So there could be like a lot of stories written with elves, <laughs> just using elves as a random example, prior to Lord of the Rings that no one picked up on and no one cared about. Right. So, <laughs> well, and, and the difference is, I think, thematic, like the the um, the social commentary in it. Because the, the ideas presented in Lord of the Rings um, um, are definitely social commentary. It, it speaks to war and environmentalism and and all of these different things that were very relevant at the time that it came out and continue to be relevant today um so and yeah i forgot where i was going but yes it, it has to have some level of social commentary hmm. but so then that's interesting because it has some level of social commentary. It's mostly relevant to the time at which it was published or written when the writer was commenting on the society at that time. But it becomes a classic. But when we, I think when we think about classic, we think about as kind of timelessness that's um, beyond just like the social relevance of the day. It has to have some like universal themes to it that yeah. so that it can so that it can last over time and continue to be popular mm -hmm. it taps into some basic human understanding some basic meaning that can be applied to every person anywhere no matter what the social circumstances around that person are and and it has to speak to the times in which it was written um, or it will never be picked up in the first place. So I think it has to have both yeah. levels to it, not just one or the other. Yeah, I agree. Something to instantly grab you and pull you in, and then some sort of deeper meaning to keep you there. Yes. So what is something that y'all have heard people say is a classic and you completely disagree with them? 
Um, for me, the only time that's really come up is discussing modern books, um, and whether they are a quote unquote modern classic or will become a classic later. Um, I, I haven't, <laughs> there's not a whole lot about debate around what is a classic now, but about the modern works that will become classics later. Like, I think Harry Potter will become a classic, but I don't think Twilight or a Dan Brown book is going to become a classic. Yeah. Yeah. And the stuff that is around now, I mean, the term modern classic is, is something different, but you can't call anything a classic until, personally to me, I think until a generation, to the generation that that came out has passed or mostly passed, then that can start becoming a classic to where the people who were around during the time of it first appearing in the world are pretty much gone and everyone that is around now is getting it from secondhand sources. That's when it can become classic, in my opinion anyway. That's just not very satisfying. <laughs> like, <laughs> I want to be able to say this thing to me seems like or I want to have the debate, like, will this become a classic or will it not? And that seems to me that there should be some characteristic that you could point to in the work itself or in, a, in, its, in its how it's being received that tells you that it has a much higher probability of becoming a classic. So I agree with Katie that Harry Potter is, to me, very much likely to become a classic. But... um. How, like, which, with what level of certainty can we say that? Uh, like Andrew was saying, we don't know until several, at least one generation has passed, possibly more. <laughs> well, I think Harry Potter sort of breaks the rule because it has such a ridiculous amount of popularity. Um, and a lot of people grew up, especially with seven books, you know, going over a span of many years, people grew up with this series of books, and as they grew up, the character that they were relating to, or characters, were also growing up. I think that one sort of helped a little bit deeper of a connection, and they will want to bestow that experience, which they won't be able to do with it completely, but they will, as much as they can, they'll want to bestow the experience they had as a kid onto their own children, and because so many people are going to be doing that, you know, you could think of, like, 90% of the kids in America are going to read Harry Potter as kids, <laughs> which, you know, obviously, I just made the statistic up, but that's what you do the statistics up. <laughs> um, 70% um, are made up on the spot. Yeah. Um you know, because it has such a ridiculous amount of popularity, you can easily say this is going to become a classic just because everyone is reading it. While something that would be more iffy would be something like Mockingjay. You know, that whole series, you know, it's good, but is that going to become a classic? Well, and I, I think that brings up the question of who decides what becomes a classic. Like, is it popular opinion or um is is there some unofficial decision making source like is it school teachers that decide to keep teaching these books um even after they're not such a social 
icon or is it marketing that keeps putting these books out there or is is it the general population? Well, I don't think it can be popularity because Twilight has popularity. Or at least it can't be popularity alone. There has to be other factors that decide whether something is going to become a classic or not. But what My she... biggest thing, which what Kellen said, was popularity over time. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what you, yeah, that's what you described with Harry Potter, why we know, know it could be a classic, but that's very iffy. It could end at any time. Like, at some point in the future, maybe we have a nuclear war or something. I don't know. And people are just like, fantasy, that stuff is crap. I'm not showing, giving my kids these books anymore. And then all of a sudden, would it not be a classic? Or would there be a huge, would there be like an underground movement to keep it alive in libraries or schools because people think this deserves its classic status? So the, so to me, it, there must be something in the work itself that uh, beyond just the fact that everyone likes to uh, likes it so much. Because, I mean, what you described with every... Um, person growing up with this series that's a very biased judgment on the on the book because when you're 10 you have you don't have a whole lot of experience with reading yeah. literature so i mean if you love the series i mean then it's good characteristics like how fun is it how funny it is are more are going to drag drive you more than like depth of its um content um mm -hmm. so to me if you're comparing that with another series it's not really a fair comparison that might like coincidentally cause harry potter to become a classic but does it deserve that status of a classic just because people happen to grow up reading it <laughs> i think well, so i don't I think, think that I think... it's <laughs> i don't think that it's dependent on the genre it's in um like you were saying, you know, maybe something happens. Some people are like, fantasy, that's ridiculous. Um, because I, we don't write Greek tragedies anymore. When was the last time you've seen a modern book or movie where it ends with everybody dying because of this <laughs> horrible mistake somebody made? That doesn't happen. But, but we still consider the tragedies classics. But, yeah, I, I understand that, but why, I guess? <laughs> well, I think because they were just because, stepping stones. Is it just because they survived? Like That, too. <laughs> but people can see that they see this, and they see that from this came what we love today. And, you know, in a lot of schools, you might say, why do I have to read this ancient stuff by, you know, Edgar Allan Poe or whatever? You know, what is the point of this? And... The point is, well, unless, you know, if you're English classes, the point is to speak, you know, good English, y'all. But, um, <laughs> but understanding, to come up with a cheesy quote, understanding the past is, you know, will help you work out problems in the present. And the same applies to literature and movies and whatnot. More to literature because it's had a longer life than music or well maybe not music but at least movies hmm. 
So we can see the importance of these older works and what they have produced later on in our own lifetimes. You know, there's going to be stuff that is based off of Harry Potter, not in the sense of a parody of it, like uh, a very Potter musical and a very Potter sequel, but something completely different, or maybe not completely different, but that is based off of it and that we probably wouldn't have had it not been for Harry Potter or some other work of art. Well, that's a good question. Will there be? <laughs> is Harry Potter different enough from things that came before to, like, inspire new? Is it? Does it have anything really new that adds to the genre of fantasy that didn't exist prior to Harry Potter? Because I read a ton of fantasy books before I read Harry Potter, and a well, lot of the elements are still there. So what what builds on Harry Potter? Well, what did the Greek tragedies build on? You know, we don't know because that's all we have left. We have the good stuff. Everything else that was similar to have similar to it but wasn't as good has disappeared and fallen through the cracks and we've retained, you know, William Shakespeare. Who else wrote in William Shakespeare's time? I don't know. I mean, obviously there were plenty of other people who wrote plays, but we have William Shakespeare and that has become a classic. The rest of it that was similar to William Shakespeare's stuff, but not William Shakespeare has fallen away and we get basically the gold, quote-unquote. And similar things may happen with the fantasy. You know, we'll have Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, but we may not have the Chronicles of Narnia anymore or something like that. So it sounds like it's almost like evolution here describing. Like there might be steps along the lines of evolution that we don't have fossilized remains for. But we can theorize that something must have happened between this and this <laughs> to get us yeah. <laughs> to work. Yeah, it's, it's it's a theory. You know, I'm not saying that that is what happened, but oh, there's well, so I much. Think... Go ahead. Um, I I think that Harry Potter's already changed the face of literature, especially young adult literature, um, because I I think without Harry Potter, Twilight would not have existed. Well, it would have existed, but it wouldn't have had the level of excess, success that it has enjoyed. Um, I, for one thing, Harry Potter um, took high fantasy, which is which is a lot of what fantasy was before, and um, humanized it in a lot of ways and took it down to this, this level that you can understand as being a part of your world, not as a part of this, like, far-off, unrelated reality that you're just you're you're reading the story um so it's very grounded in the world that we're in now and it has also sort of created the the cult um literature fanaticism in in a mainstream kind of way so nothing has ever been popular like harry potter is nothing has has exploded to that same level and um because it happened with harry potter it can happen again, potentially. Um, maybe not to the same degree, but in the same way, like Twilight has. Hmm. I guess uh, my concern, my question would be, would, would that, is that just going to inspire a bunch of shallow copycats of Harry Potter more than anything else? Or does it really have a lasting impact that's going to change? Uh, like, I think it... <laughs> It will inspire a bunch of copycats. I think anything that 
has that is good or has a, a lot of popularity is just going to by its nature come up with a bunch of no good copycats um but because people are trying to tap into you know its popularity by drawing on maybe the characters themselves instead of drawing on something simpler that the book has okay so this idea of harry potter basically blending um sort of humanistic stories that are like more grounded in day-to-day life with high fantasy how how new is that (laughs) i mean is it is it really a new thing or was it just harry potter did it better than every anybody else had ever done it and got people thinking about this (laughs) well in the specific case of harry potter i think it's probably that that series just did it better and and affected more people and um and has become the expected level from fantasy okay so the other stuff existed before but it was just one part of this greater genre now harry potter has raised the bar to where this is the um expectation Okay, let's go back to the question of who decides. Um, so, like, so we've been talking about what kind of characteristics over time are going to lead to it. Let me just throw this weird idea, like, of how you might measure or how you might determine if something is a classic um, or is likely to be a classic. If you like, so you might try like just like doing some sort of like voting system. This sort of this is going to be sort of like a uh, um, a thought experiment. So you might just imagine like you just had everyone vote on each work: is this a classic or not? And with the things that got the highest votes, you would say these. So these things that most people consider classics, we can consider classics. So if you start with that base, how would you? What would we? What could we do to change that to make it more reflective of, like, what actually is considered a classic? <laughs> so you could, like, for example, one thing you might do, very simple thing you might do, is just eliminate the votes of anyone who um, hasn't read <laughs> a particular piece of work, because obviously their their judgments on that aren't likely to be very good since they're based on hearsay. Uh, well, maybe, <laughs> but there are books that I would consider classics that I just haven't read yet. So if I were to vote, I would say that uh, I can't think of a book that I haven't read yet. Um, but that some old book by somebody that was written in like 1960s um, would be a classic, but I just haven't read it yet because there are tons of books out there to read. But I would still consider it a classic because other people consider it a classic, and I know, you know, the sort of general scope of it, yeah. and I know what has happened, not necessarily what has happened in the story, but what has happened throughout the life of this book, and would consider it a classic for that without actually having read the content of the story. And your personal like or dislike of a story 
does not mean that the quality of the story is bad or good, necessarily. It depends on what you are basing your like and dislike on, obviously. I mean, um, some sort of horror story that's like all blood and guts and gore and everybody dies a horrible death. Um, You know, I personally wouldn't like that. I'm just, you know, I don't want to read that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a classic. Just because I don't like it. Yeah, I agree. Limiting it to just people who have read the stories would, I think, be more subjective. um, Because you're, at that point, also taking in your likes and dislikes of the story. Like, I hate Romeo and Juliet. I can't stand that (laughs) play. But it's it's still a classic. um, Okay, I guess I'm saying you're voting on whether you think it's worthy of being considered a classic based on your own judgment of uh, its consideration of, of the, of the, of the text itself. So, hmm. I don't know. To me, having everyone vote is sort of like double counting because now you have a lot of people who are just being influenced. Then, then it becomes just a matter of marketing. I can, if I can convince enough people to vote for this, then people will vote for this. And then it's, it becomes a sort of traditional thing. So over time, everyone has been told uh, Crime and Punishment is the greatest book ever or something like that. Um, and then – or is or d- is a truly classic that deserves its place in the classic in a list of classic. To me, that – I don't know. It seems like that's a – that's a weak argument because you haven't uh, asserted anything about it, except that you happen to have heard a bunch of people say it's a classic in the past. So how do you know if your English majors are telling English professors are telling you the truth sort of, that's Mm -hmm. the kind of, but, but I think a big part of something becoming a classic is convincing everyone that it's a classic. Like if you, if you picked up, like a Dave Eggers book. I'm just like, this is a classic. It's not quite old enough to be a classic, but just for instance. Um, if you picked up a Dave Eggers book or, or Infinite Jest and was like, this is a classic, and you convinced everyone that it was a classic, then I, I think that it would become one because everyone believes that it was. Yeah, it would, that would influence the popularity factor, you could say, that, you know, if... You know, the three factors that I mentioned, you know, obviously you could say that there's more, but, you know, if it is severely lacking in one or more of those factors, then it wouldn't necessarily be considered a classic. And if you can boost one of those to ridiculously high amounts, then it sort of would bring up the other two with it. So if you can convince enough people to like this book, then the amount of popularity it has can sort of help even out if it has a lower quality or hasn't been around as long. Kind of a thing. A little bit. Maybe? (laughs) What do y'all think about that? I don't know if I have commentary on that. 
could say that Lord of the Rings has been around a long time, so it has time, it has a large time scale. Um, it is a good quality series, and so it has that, and then it also has a good amount of popularity. And so, you know, it has sort of an even amount on all three factors, while, say, Harry Potter has good quality, but it hasn't been around for very long. But the amount of popularity it has, so say it, say it has been around, its time quality is zero. Say it, I see you need at least a 50-50 and a 50 on all three of those for it to be considered a classic. Well, it has a 50 on quality, it has a zero on time, but it has a 100 on popularity. That 100 makes up for the lack of time it has been around. Something like that. Uh, Does that make sense? I, it yeah. just... It makes sense. It's just to me that it's uh, a standard that I don't. I'm not comfortable. With. I want to. I want to hold classics to a higher standard than that. Yeah, <laughs> than that's, that's sort of like a because I want to be able to say. So if this, I want to be able to say that uh, book X that everyone has considered a classic. Maybe we should stop teaching that in school because it doesn't deserve its status as a classic. <laughs> like it's maybe it's just not very good. <laughs> so so your question is more like how do we is is whether something deserves to be a classic more so than whether it is. Yeah, more so than whether just people happen to consider it to be right now because that can change in a century or whatever. So I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with humanity uh what people are going to remember and what they're not. But what sh- so if we need to preserve, let's say, books that really matter <laughs> because they're classics, how do we decide <laughs> what we should preserve? <laughs> well, I think when it boils down to it, that in all honesty, there is no book that I would like die to have around for another 50 years. I mean, if people are going to say that Lord of the Rings isn't a classic anymore, I'd be like, well, that's sad, but you're not going to keep me from reading it. And I'm not, then you're not going to keep me from telling people about it and say, Hey, I think this book is good. You know, you should maybe check it out sometime. Um, but if you're going to like have a list of the top 100 classics and you're going to take Lord of the Rings off this, no skin off my nose. <laughs> Maybe, but there are thing, things that I want to survive. So, like, there are things that I don't care. Like, if Brave New World ceases to exist tomorrow, I won't care. But if 1984 <laughs> ceases to exist tomorrow, I will be very, very upset. <laughs> I think 1984 actually has some real significance in society. I mean, I don't know. I don't know necessarily. I mean, the ideas that are in 1964, um, 84, 84, that's what I meant. Sorry. 1984. Um, you know, they're around in so many other things that if you were to get rid of the original, you would not get rid of the idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's only the case because, 1984 existed, though. Yeah. I mean, if you were to erase erase it from all time, then, yeah, then you'd be losing, or 
you have the potential to lose the idea behind 1984. Um, but we can't do that, and that can't actually happen. It can come pretty close. <laughs> if there's if if we have to like leave Earth because of some massive comet strike or something, <laughs> there must might not be very many of us left, and there might not be many books. We could be do a Battlestar Galactica type thing. <laughs> Yeah, but if I mean, <laughs> honestly, if if you're gonna go into that, and we have to leave Earth, and we have the ability to go from Earth to another habit, you know, uh, you know, habitable planet, then we're gonna have the ability to store like a ridiculous amount of books into a very small space. So I don't really see that being a problem. Okay, then then do the. Uh... Technologically unadvanced version where you. And how are we going to get off Earth? <laughs> no, no, no. We have new. So, well, I guess you could do some aliens abduct a small portion of society before wiping out the planet. But. Um, okay. Or we could just have like a, a Armageddon scenario in, in the United States that, or in the world that just lowers our technology level um, to the point where that storage capacity. Because actually, our storage technology is very, very weak right now, <laughs> and the yeah. things we store on hard drive are just not going to, or on DVD, are not going to survive very long at all. Um, I, well, we're getting mixed up in the minutia of the hypothetical. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> um, we're we're trying to figure out what that is considered a classic now. Should it still can be? Should it still be considered a classic? Or what can we? Look into what what can we compare the classics to each other? What aspects of that, and use that to say that well, comparing you know these classics to this one that people consider to be a classic shows that this isn't actually a classic and should be dropped because it's no good anymore. Or is that even? Or we're also asking questions: even is that even a meaningful question? Or does it matter? Because basically I'm saying it does, but you guys seem to be disagreeing <laughs> to some extent. Yeah. I don't think it really matters. Well, I, I don't know. I, I think if something deserves its space as a classic, it has much more to do with its life outside of the text itself than it does um, with what's what's written straight on the pages. Like 1984... Um, its own content is very significant and is a great part of what it what makes it a classic. But what really um, gives it its space is its its effects outside of itself. So the the fact that those themes are around everywhere now um, is only because 1984 existed, um, and and that's what makes it a classic more than more than anything else. Because it's the original. Okay. So even if the idea would exist, it would, would continue if the book were to disappear, um, the fact that it has had this great rippling effect outside of its its own pages, um, I think is what, what makes the classic. Yeah, see, I would say it's just slightly different. I would say the fact that it has the ability to have this rippling effect <laughs> makes it a classic. So I was like, if you, if that rip, the ripples were to stop and you just got rid of them all. And then at some future point you introduce 1984, 
with just say updated to just updated to the modern whatever era it's in, but it had the exact same themes, then it would immediately become a classic again and have those ripple effects. So I'm just saying, like, what works of art have that timeless capacity that they always produce these effects? <laughs> well, but I think there there are um, works that would not do that. Like Jane Austen, I think is a classic because what she had to say was very relevant at the time. But I don't think that Jane Austen is especially relevant now. And if we were just getting Jane Austen right now, I don't I don't think that it would be significant at all. So I guess that then that that notion of classic is important for understanding our history, how we got to the place we are now. Um, yeah. But I guess I'm asking if there's a different notion of classic, a sort of timelessness notion. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think some have it and some don't. Uh, part of it is that it was so very relevant at one time. Um, and because of that, it's still a classic. And some of it is that it is timeless, like you were saying that it's it's always relevant and that's what keeps it current. So it's it's whether it has a place in history or whether it always has a place somewhere. Um but I, I think they're both equally classics. Okay. Um and I don't think that we necessarily need two separate definitions of it. It's just they became classics for different reasons. Okay. I agree with that. Yeah, that makes sense to me too. Um So if you are given a given book or a given story, how would you go about determining whether this was a classic? Let's just say someone gave you a a name of a novel that you'd never heard of before or a short story. I don't think that you could determine whether or not it's a classic simply by your own individual reading of the book or hearing of the title. You can't. Okay, yeah. I, it's I, it's indeterminable. Just from a single point of view, it's indeterminable. Okay, now, now I'm not saying uh, read it and just decide. This is a classic. I declare it so. I am Kellen. My work is law. No, I'm just saying, okay, so I'm a scientist, and I'm an alien scientist, and I have this book, and how am I going to determine like and I could let's say I have omniscience and omnipotence and I can observe society throughout history. <laughs> well, if you're observing society throughout history, you would want to see one how many people read the book and two for how long a time span the book continues to be printed and reprinted and continues to exist within people's uh minds of of a list of books. That is, those are the big things, you know, because for someone completely outside of our world, let's say, um, you know, you wouldn't necessarily be able to determine a quality of book because your definition of quality would be so completely different. The only things that you would be able to judge it upon would be popularity and time. See, but I think that all of these other factors are what make it make it popular. Like, I think its classicness is what perpetuates its popularity, not the other way around. Like, popularity yes. is important in the beginning, but I don't think that it is um, definitive. 
I, I think I popularity is what get it, gets it noticed, but that its quality and its impact and, and its um, relevancy is perpetuates its popularity. I agree with that, and that's from our perspective. And I would agree that, yeah, the popularity is what you said. It's important for the get-go, but if it, you know, it's the quality inside of it that continues to roll the popularity on forward. Um, but someone outside of that wouldn't understand, you know, why the quality of Harry Potter is so good while the quality of Twilight is so bad. They might not be able to see that. They wouldn't be able to read Harry Potter and say this is good and read Twilight and say this is bad. They would only be able to see what other people like because they would have to view the book through society's eyes. They wouldn't be able to see its quality on their own. Yes. Somebody outside of all of us. Yeah, I'm just saying that I think that popularity is symptomatic, not definitive. It is. I agree with that. And that's from our perspective inside society. We can see the quality of the book for its own quality. Well, I, I think that's all that really matters, actually. Like, yeah. I mean, we can keep going with this alien omnipotent hypothetical, but I don't think that it gets <laughs> to the heart of the question. Um, no. Like, it, it only matters in its social relevancy. Um, and to a completely alien outside perspective, it wouldn't be a classic because they couldn't understand its historical relevancy, its social impact, its um, uh, a personal impact. And so it's sort of like a question wrongly asked, I think. Yes. Okay. Let me try again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's say you had a histori- uh, human historian... He travels away at the speed of light or something for many hundreds of years and comes back, and now he's going to analyze the last 500 years of history of the United States, of the world. That he's missed. That he's missed. And now he's going to try to compose a list of the the classics, <laughs> of this, the literature, literary classics of this 500-year time period. What are the things he's going to look at? Like, what's the algorithm he's going to go through? <laughs> well, how's his logic going to work? So how's he going to design the, define the cutoffs? Is he just going to ask people, hey, what's a classic today? <laughs> Which of these are classics? Well, I don't think that um, it's something that you can use the same equation on every piece um, because they're important for different reasons. Yeah. Like like what we were saying the the Jane Austen versus I don't know, Lord of the Rings or something is that you know, you would their significance would um come about in different ways. So if you were trying to define a classic, you would have to use different criteria. A, a few different criteria. I don't think just one equation would work for every piece to define is this a classic is this not not a classic? Is it important or not? Yeah, you could, but there are things you could use as proxies for criteria. So you could say, let's count how many scholarly articles are written about each work. <laughs> and we'll say mm-hmm. the ones that have the most scholarly articles written, we're going to consider well, those classics. Would that be see, a good measure? <laughs> no, it wouldn't be a good measure because 
people talk about Twilight all the time. I mean, we're talking about Twilight, but we wouldn't consider it a quality. You know, we wouldn't consider this a classic. Um, you know, it's maybe it's a classic horror. You know, or it should be you know never written ever again. <laughs> a classic blunder. Yeah. Um, so we can but, define a concept called anti-classics. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about that too. Um, yeah. Continue. I forgot what I was going to say. Um. So, you know, you can't, you can't use just that. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I do think pod- that its educational prevalence is important. Like whether or not this book is taught, and and um, whether it has some educational merit, I think that plays a lot into whether or not it becomes a classic. Because you're not going to teach Twilight in a high school English class unless you're one of those, like, hip teachers that wants to talk about the things all the kids like. But um, from a scholarly perspective, Twilight doesn't have anything to offer. So there's um, an interesting difference between how books are chosen in high school versus how they're chosen for college classes where you where in college classes you generally have someone who is a scholar of whatever <laughs> picking the criteria um, but often schools they're determined sort of by by community vote <laughs> do, do they weight the same I guess <laughs> Like, there might be, like, a council, and they might have their own agendas. <laughs> like, they might want to push this book because they're trying to, like, brainwash kids or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think that would happen. You would not have um, the same piece coming up over and over again in that sort of situation. You would have isolated incidences with that, but the um, the average would not be represented. Okay. So, To Kill a Mockingbird is taught in every school across the country, um, whereas, like, John Green's Looking for Alaska is not, but it is still taught in schools. Um, but, so that, uh, Looking for Alaska wouldn't register on the, the graph of classics where to, um, to Kill a Mockingbird would. At least not as highly, like, mm-hmm. it might be on the, on the end edge condition. <laughs> or something or beneath it I don't know um, yeah okay I'm enough, I'm done torturing you with weird hypotheticals <laughs> so the Da Vinci Code <laughs> classic or no no, no, <laughs> no. I'm no. Nothing Dan nope. Brown writes will ever be a classic, uh, except to be like a classic example of a Mary Sue. Okay. <laughs> because here's the thing: he when he writes, he does not come from a perspective that understands the human condition. Like it is about, um. His his books are about conspiracy theories and and being contrary to um, certain opinions, but it 
it doesn't speak to the human condition at all. It's a professor writing a self-insert book to voice his his own opinions, but it does not speak for the people, um, and it, it's not something um, that that exposes humanity in any any new way. So then, why is it so popular? Um, a lot of it is it's popular because uh, um, well, because of the the um, conspiracy theorist aspect and also um for the controversy of the da vinci code um i i mean when you go against the majority opinion especially on something like religion people are going to get upset about it and because it caused this commotion it became popular um or it achieved its level of popularity. It had some popularity before then, but not a, a huge amount. And its controversy is what shot it up in in our social consciousness. But it doesn't have any staying power for that reason. Hmm. Okay, now I have to do one more hypothetical. <laughs> uh, what if you had um, uh, a book that uh, was about conspiracy theories and it spoke to like all our fears about the modern era about how uh, there is all this fear of various secret powers having control over our lives or whatever well I think I think you were defining 1984 right yeah that's exactly what I was about okay that wasn't exactly what I wanted to say then. <laughs> okay. What if it... so what, you're, what you're asking about is does the topic of the book that Dan Brown wrote, The Da Vinci Code, does the topic of that matter in making it a classic? If the same topic was applied to another book that was quote unquote better in some way or if the topic was applied to another book and that book was considered a classic what other than the topic makes that a classic? Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, but that's interesting. <laughs> um, I was going somewhere completely different. Um, well, okay. I mean, the topic itself is it plays a fairly small part. Like um, Harry Potter, at the end of the day, is a classic hero kind of story about good and evil and that's been told a hundred times before and that's not what what people latch on to um it's it's the humanity of it it's that there's there's things they can latch on to there's social commentary that that can be latched on to it's um it's at the metaphorical level where it thrives not at the plot summary level okay so i agree with that what if Hitler wrote this really moving biography that was all about his life struggles and it just so it totally touched the human condition and everyone loved it and this helps catapult him into power and then he rules over the world for several several centuries as he uses robotic enhancements uh, to keep himself alive. Um, and then, then he forces everyone to read this book, and then it continues to impact people year in and year out. Is that a classic? And it also talks about how he wants to kill all the Jews and how only Aryans are important and stuff like that. 
Well, you could maybe <laughs> well, consider it a force classic. Yeah, well, since your hypothetical kind of takes us completely out of the realm of reality, I would say, yeah, that probably would be a classic because it would have an enormous social impact and it would redefine society in a major way. So that would be a classic. I don't think if Hitler wrote a deeply moving tale about the human condition and then everything played out the way it did historically, that that would become a classic. Yeah. But in in your very <laughs> hypothetical hypothetical, then yeah, I think it would be. It'd be a classic. Okay. <laughs> It'd be a forced classic. That's how I would call it. I would call it a forced classic because, you know, the popularity is forced upon it, um, and then well, it it's, is, yeah. it's it's brought about through sort of a quote unquote backwards way. There. See, there's no, it would have forced popularity, but I don't think it would be a forced classic. Like, I, I mean, people have been forced to read all sorts of things that that aren't necessarily classics. Because in this hypothetical case, um, the book would have defined society in a significant way, not just in the okay. fact that people were forced to read it, but the ideas behind it um, would have defined culture in a lot of ways and i think that's what would make it a classic not just the okay. fact that everybody was forced to read it yeah sorry right. i there's... missed i must have missed that part where i was saying that it was an actually good book it was not a good book <laughs> well it's, not a good uh, book but a good book in the way that you know it it changed everything and yeah everybody it, it's part of let's say it's a significant part of what enabled hitler to gain power is because basically the people who read this like deeply connected with it and then they joined Hitler's army or whatever. Let's say that. Yeah. Which actually has some relevance historically. But um, let's say he... Um, so there's like two weird things about it. One is that he kills... He, by by definition, the way Hitler works is he kills anyone who would be likely to reject this as a classic. <laughs> because the book talks about people being evil and then he kills those people so in, in a certain sense he, he yeah he does force it to become a classic in that sense because it's it would be more of a polarized split like if he hadn't done that right half the people would reject the book and half the people well yeah people rejecting the book i don't think um it in it. the broad sense prevents anything from becoming classic in fact sometimes i think it helps like the, that there is controversy and there there is debate about it uh, in a lot of ways i think that helps something become a classic um. because that's people are talking about it when there's controversy over a book that means people are talking about it and debating it um so yeah it helps it gain in popularity Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. So I don't think controversy, like a lack of controversy, I don't think would um, necessarily help. Would necessarily affect its classicness in any significant way. Like if he killed off all those opposition, I don't know. I I don't think that would um, really. Well, the opposite happen. could happen too. The all the opposition could win. They burn every copy of this book. <laughs> because of what it did and then they just try to erase it from history because they despise it um 
is it no longer a classic just because they got rid of it? <laughs> well, or, if they were able to completely erase it, then it would no longer be a classic because no one would know about it. Um, but I think even if they came back and decided they were opposed to all of its ideals and, and it was, um, you know, something that they rejected for wholeheartedly, I think it would still be a classic because it would have still had a historical significance and um, it w- the culture would still be defining itself by that book, it's just yeah. in opposition instead of agreement. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> um. Okay, now that's that's it for Hitler for now. <laughs> <laughs> So we don't. We only have like ten, fifteen, ten minutes or so left. So, anything else you want to talk about, real quick? Any of these things on the list? Yeah, this this last one that I have here. Why um, classics are way to, uh, allowed to get away with things that other books are not? This is big um, for me. I see it in the big dispute surrounding Harry Potter, um, and how so many people are opposed to it. Um, for, you know, religious reasons or personal reasons, whatever, but but at the same time um, accept books like The Chronicles of Narnia and Lord of the Rings, even though they contain the exact same elements that um, they're judging Harry Potter over. So, like, the use of magic, that's in both Narnia and Lord of the Rings. There's, there's um, good magic and bad magic, and... Um, you know, some of them use spells. Narnia has an actual witch in it. <laughs> Lord of the Rings has wizards. Um, so, but, but those two series are not opposed in in the same way that Harry Potter is. So why do you think it is that those books are acceptable while Harry Potter is not? I don't have a quantifiable reason why, but... I would say that I bet that there were people, just like the people who are going against Harry Potter now, there were people back then who went against uh, Chronicles of Narnia and Lord of the Rings for the same reasons. That's I can't say that for sure. True. But I, I'm, I'm talking about the people that have um, this particular dichotomy the, the, as it is right now. Why do they do that? Yeah, like, why are these classics able to do these things um, that are uh, absolutely evil in in a modern book? Um, From the perspective of these people, not... um, So I think the... I think that something about the classic, the fact that it's considered a classic gives it a level of authority in people's minds at this so that so something like harry potter people aren't sure about yet they don't necessarily trust it because people never trust new things but the fact that the lord of the rings and chronicles of narnia have uh been considered a classic by so many people for so long they said they see that it hasn't destroy society or hasn't had any negative impact so they're they're no longer worried about it because of it has that historical authority to it i guess there's so many people who have sort of vouched for it over time 
Maybe. That's a guess. <laughs> but why can't they see the same elements in both uh, Narnia and Lord of the Rings in Harry Potter and see that what they're going against hasn't changed because society in a bad way? They're not rational people. (laughs) 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 Really? I mean, it's just that when they see, they just, yeah, they're, people don't necessarily know that much about, like, they don't think that deeply about the components of the book. They just have this feeling that there are bad things, there are bad books out there that will have a bad impact on people. And they're afraid that this new book might be in that category, I guess. Um, and they just, people don't necessarily use their own judgment to decide that. They tend to sometimes rely on authority figures, especially if you have a very authoritarian mindset. You're going to like look to the community leaders to tell you, is this book, um, acceptable (laughs) should i teach this book should i let my kids read this book or whatever and then there are some people who for whatever reason have this desire to weaken like some some people become community leaders and they have this desire to um, attack certain books um, to perhaps to i don't know actually i have no idea why (laughs) Because they're afraid that it'll bring down their own power and they're selfish. Yeah, something along those lines, definitely. But that still really hasn't answered Katie's question. <laughs> I mean, it has in a way, but, you know, it's not... We can't really say that everybody falls in line with that. Why do people hate Harry Potter and not and not um, Lord of the Rings or Carnivals of Narnia? I mean, even my own mom, like... I was, we were flipping through the channels, and you know, one of the Harry Potter movies was on. I was like, "Oh, hey, I can watch this." And she's like, "That's no good." I'm like, "You okay? You haven't read the books. You haven't seen any of the movies. You cannot say that it's no good." Obviously, though, in her particular perspective, she doesn't really like anything science fictiony. I mean, that she liked Lord of the Rings was very, very rare. So. For her, she can say that she wouldn't like it just because of the type that it is. Mm-hmm. But there are other people who don't have that who would say the same thing. Yeah, well, because, like, for me, growing up, I was not allowed to read Harry Potter, period. I was not allowed to watch the movies. But I was completely addicted to Lord of the Rings. I'd, I've seen those movies more times than I can count. I've read everything Tolkien's ever written. Um, and and it's, it's the... There are so many similarities between the two um, franchises, uh, thematically and also in terms of its various plot elements. Like everything that people oppose in Harry Potter is in Lord of the Rings, but Lord of the Rings is is okay and Harry Potter is not. Yeah, and I don't have an answer for why that is. Yeah, I mean, do you do you think I can't? I can't view their perspective for some reason. You know, I. There are some perspectives that I really have difficulty seeing from their point of view, and this is one of them. I just – I don't understand it. You know, I'm not going to just flat out say that they're wrong or bad or 
you know, misguided or anything, but I just, I cannot see their point of view pretty much no matter how hard I try. Um, so do you think they, they're making this judgment having, having read Harry Potter or knowing, really having a good sense of what Harry Potter is about? Probably some, not. Some, <laughs> I, I would say. Some are, but mm, not all of them. Not in I'm, my family's case, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, some people just, you know, they haven't read it, you know, like you said with the authority figure thing. You know, maybe that authority figure read it and said that it was bad and the other people just followed along. Um, so I'm sure that there are some people who have read it and said, this is not good. Um, but I'm sure there are lots of people who just sort of followed them. And I mean, it also might be something to do with the times. Like maybe this isn't a general principle that's true. Um, but for example, like for some reason we're become, I, I felt maybe I'm, this is not correct but this is i feel like we're becoming a lot more prudish in terms of like offensive language and slurs and we're becoming a lot more sensitive about racial slurs and stuff and all kinds of stuff in books today are considered more taboo than they were even like 50 years ago when which is very weird because 50 years ago they were more taboo in the actual society than they are today <laughs> um, I'm not so. sure. I mean, I agree on the whole being politically correct. You know, you have to say African American. You can't say black or or anything like that. And if you call something like black ice, people are going to get mad at you. <laughs> I'm like, but it's not. It's not even related to you. But you know, I agree with that. But I don't really necessarily understand what you meant when you said that second part of it being more taboo now in books and less taboo in reality when it was more taboo in reality back then. Uh, so, so for example, um, uh, sexual explicitness, I guess I think there will be more opposition to, well, okay, maybe not necessarily in books, but in, if we just talk about art in general in television or in, uh, video games, there's more. It's more likely to cause an uproar today if you put that in content today uh, than if you put it in uh, a, a piece of literature that people thought that only scholars would be reading, I guess, in the past. Um, where it was really, it really stood out in the in a past book because it because generally maybe they you know that they put it in there for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of it is the perception that it would only be included in a modern piece if it was meant to be um, sensual, sen- you know, sensational in some way. Um, so, like, overt sexuality would be perceived as pornography as opposed to being um, having something significant to add to the content. It, it, it's just seen as gratuitous. Um, and and not um, affecting the story in a positive way, just being extra noise. Yeah, and I think the same thing as far as like cursing or or like profanity, profane language in works today are just <laughs> people are more likely to react negatively to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Well, 
I think part of it is that it, it's not, um, I wouldn't even call it taboo. I think people are just opposed to it because it's been so done. It's been so done. You've seen it in everything. Um, and I think people are burnt out on it and don't respect it and kind of want it to disappear. I think it's, it's different than it being a taboo and people are being um, prudish about it. As you said, I think it's that the opposite, that people are burned out on it and want to see substance. Okay. And, and don't yeah. perceive that as substance anymore. Yeah, I can see that because, you know, you'll hear people say, you know, if there was some sex scene in a movie, you know, you'll hear people come out and say, you know, it was a great movie, but that sex scene, it just, it wasn't necessary. It was a sort of like a stuck on there. And that's what people think of it. And that's, they're not necessarily against the sex scene. Some people are, um, and for whatever reason, but a lot of people are just against. You know, it just, it wasn't necessary. You didn't need to put that in there. Don't waste my time with that. Mm -hmm. Which makes it easy to overlook things where um, those particular sorts of elements are saying something significant in the story. And they're meant to show you something. But people just see it, they're like, oh, more sex. Right. And, and And ignore the fact that it does have significance because it so rarely does that they just don't even look for it. Right, they'll miss it because they just like because because it's been done already. They assume that that person who put it in there is just falling in line with everybody else. Which, obviously, you know, from like a purely mathematical standpoint, would be a pretty easy assumption. If ninety percent of this happens, then if something happens, you know, obviously there are high chances that it's going to be this and not that. So, right. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so now what? <laughs> Uh, I've got nothing else to add. <laughs> for yeah, <us>. Me neither. <laughs> okay, I'm done too. All right, so let's close it out. All right, this has been Getting Thinky. Our topic was what makes a classic. Uh, next time, we will be talking about what makes a name. Uh, we'll be talking about our own names, uh, nicknames, what we like or dislike about them, and if we have time, start talking about other people's names or just names in general. So look forward to that. Until next time, I'm Andrew. I'm Katie. And I'm Kellen. And this has been an episode of Getting Thinky. I hope you're somewhere warm and white. Like the flowers in your cards, you've escaped this labyrinth of suffering. Wherever you are, I got a piece of you tucked away deep inside my mind. Memories of your poetry and drinking your cheap wine. Thomas Edison's last words were, it's very beautiful over there. I don't know where there is, but I believe it's somewhere, and I hope it's beautiful, like you. 
you're beautiful I never really knew 